Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein. This week we're going to be speaking about a headline that occurred in Bnei Brak. Bnei Brak, as we'll hear from one of our guests, is running out of land. So what do they do? All the buildings are four stories high, or five stories, because there's no elevators. A number, a builder went ahead, and he built a high-rise. Before that, he went to a number of very prominent Rabbanim, and he got Haskama, that he would build an elevator that is mamish betachlis ahedr. There are no sensors, any possible shaila you could have about the elevator. They figured it out. They went to Tzomet. Tzomet does all the electronics for the hospitals, etc., by the Kaisal, etc. And Tzomet gave the Heksha on the elevators, and these Rabbanim did too. Subsequently, Reb Gershon Edelstein and another other Rabbanim came, and they said, no, they want Asrit, and the first Rabbanim retracted their, their Haskama. So basically, the last five or ten floors of this tower are going to be difficult to inhabit, because who wants to walk up ten or fifteen floors on Shabbos? So we're going to be speaking about elevators on Shabbos. And there's a, both Halacha as well as a Hashkafa Shaila here. In other words, let's assume for a minute that you could make an elevator that is 100% no problem to use on Shabbos. Let's assume, and and can it be done? Let's assume that it can be done. But there's another problem. What is the problem? It's not Shabbos, Zilusa the Shabbos. Just doesn't, like driving a bicycle. There's no electric parts on a bicycle. You could say maybe it'll fall off, maybe you'll fix it. No. At the end of the day, why don't we do it? Because it's not Shabbos stick. I remember I was, there was a sheer name, I was davening Meirev by, um, by Shiner Shul, and Rabbi Daniel Korn was giving a sheer in Hulcha Shabbos. I was listening in between Mincha Meirev. I think they were learning um, Reish Samachalaf, where it talks about doing Malacha Ben Ashmashis. So it says you're allowed to do Malacha Ben Ashmashis, Futsarach Mitzvah, you could ask a guy to turn on a lamp if you forgot to. Everybody was sort of like, the guys were a little bit falling asleep, so I wanted to make it a little bit because I said, Rabbi Koran, can you drive a Tesla to Shul? You're late for, for Mincha, Erev Shabbos. Can you drive your Tesla to Shul? Ben Hashemashes. could be a pretty long time, right, after the Shkia, um, to, to be able to uh, to get to Shul on time. Suddenly everybody jumps up. We understand that viscerally that there's something wrong with this. So, Rav Edelshin, if you look at the uh, the letter that they wrote, they said, you know, we'll make Xera, Maybe this elevator is good. Maybe another elevator won't be good. I don't know about the Xera, but I say viscerally, I would say my response is, I don't know. Does that Shabbos take to, you know, if we can go to work on an electric car that's totally mutter on Shabbos, so use an elevator? That, to me, is a big part of the equation. Besides the halacha, shkafically, is it cor- correct or not? And I think that's really what the battle went on in Bnei Brak. So we'll have on Rabbi Tzvi Ortner. He's the head of technology for the OU, and he paskins with the OU's Shilas for technology. You can imagine if they're doing, you know, if they're doing hechsherim on hotels, whatever it may be, there are Shabbos shilas, and there's a lot of technology shilas. He gets them all. And then we're going to have uh, Rabbi Yisrael Krengel. He's the, one of the heads of the Tzomet Institute in Eretz Yisrael that creates these switches, etc. Then we have another shilas, and that shilas is, well, Turabanim gave him a, a hechsha that he could. So he built, the developer went hell, he spent tens of millions of dollars building this high-rise. These Turabanim then withdrew their hechsha. Well, are they liable? What's the halacha of a dayin shetah? A dayin or a rav makes a mistake, and because of that, you lose a lot of money. Imagine, you know, uh, you get, for your, your kid is making a bar mitzvah, and some friend sends over a charcuterie board, and I heard these things exist, for $5,000. And then there's a shiloh, something milchik fell on it, and you call up the rabbi, and he says, throw the whole thing away. You throw out the whole $5,000 charcuterie board. 
but you find that he was wrong. Well, would he be mechuyiv? And there's a difference in the cases where one's a halacha that's open, one's a withdrawing because of sort of pressure, one's because of an opinion, a chumrah. And for people who travel, uh, can you use a, a regular elevator? Can you get in together with a guy and the guy's going up to the 46th floor and you don't tell a word and he gets out of 46 and you climb down to, to 41 through the steps. I mean, well, you got a free ride. Can you or can't you? These are going to be the shilohs that we're going to be discussing on today's program. Should make for a fantastic uh, program. So Shavuos is coming up and you're supposed to learn with your kids or you're supposed to learn with your chavrusa. And maybe your son is learning Hamaskid. Maybe he's learning Takfakayin, which, if I'm not mistaken, is not something you're exactly right now have on your fingertips. Or maybe he's learning Yesh Zika or Ein Zika, which I don't think is going to keep you up Shavuos night. But you know you're supposed to have Mamish a fantastic Shavuos night, learning with your son that's inspiring. What are you going to do? So I'm going to present the solution. Joining us from Yerushalayim is Rabbi Eliada Goldvicht who runs Smichas Chaver. It's one of the, probably the fastest growing learning program in the world. It's in five continents, a few hundred cities. And he's going to tell you about the program that they have for Shavuos night. Welcome, Rebel Yada. Shalom Aleichem. Thank you so much. So I'll, I'll jump right in. This Shavuos, the Seat and Shemai, we're doing what we've done in the past, and it's been fantastic. It's called the Smichas Chaver Shavuos Challenge, where you'll register, we'll send you material, to learn with your son, with your family, with your chavusa on Shavuos night. And it's very practical, very nice. We're going to be learning the halachas of Bishel. So for example, everything that you want to know and you might not have learned well, uh, even if you grew up in a firm home, what's the best way to heat up food? Could you use, if you're, uh, you know, your piece of meat has a little bit of sauce, how much sauce? Uh, if it's fat and then the fat is going to melt as you heat it up, you put it on the plata, you put it on the blech. Are you allowed to make uh, instant soup on the uh, on, uh, on, on Shabbos. Uh, you're filling up a cup. With, you're making multiple teas, right? At the end of the meal, you're making tea for 10 people. So it could use the same cup. If in the meantime, the cup that you're using to fill up all the other ones, it cooled off. Or you're just taking a cup that was rinsely, uh, that, that was just rinsed. And now you're filling it up with water right from the urn. Is that not official? You're not cooking all the little droplets. So, so many halachic shayos, you might not even know, existed. You want to go for a round two of chillin, and you're putting the ladle back into the chillin, and the ladle still has, you know, it's still wet. It has pieces of, uh, of precipitation that, uh, that cooled off. So is there official on that? So what we're sending is a packet that you can learn over Shuris night with your chavusa, with your family, uh, and really master these halachus. And then share it. We'll have questions and answers that you can share at your Shabbos table, comics with your kids. And at the end of Shuris on Sunday, we're all going to get onto Zoom, uh, hundreds of different locations around the world, uh, with thousands of people who are learning it, hopefully. And we're going to have a kahoot. We're going to have a kahoot as in a quiz, basically. You'll take your phone out, and you'll see questions pop up on the screen. And you'll answer them in more time against other people. And with, uh, we'll have two different cahoots, one for adults and one for kids. The adults, the first prize, can, you can win up to $500. Second prize is uh, $250. Third prize is $175. And for kids, first prize is going to be $150. Second prize is going to be $75. And, and third prize is going to be $50. And in the material itself, in the notes, in the Myron McComas that you'll see, you'll, you'll see that some of it is going to be specifically for kids. Some of it is going to be for, for uh, you know, those who are bar mitzvah and upward. Uh, it has been fantastic in the past. People have loved it. Families have loved it. Shabbos tables have been enhanced. And I'm sure you're going to love it as well if you want to uh if you want to come and take part of this so the best way to register the best way to make sure that you'll get your material go to uh, bit.ly forward slash scp challenge so it's bit.ly forward slash scp should be capitalized sc and then t those three letters should be capitalized and then challenge c-h-a-l-l-e-n-g okay so we'll put that on you on the website too so that whoever wants to just, uh, you know, take it off the website, the email, ad the address will be there. So the difference between this and learning Hamaskid, wherever it may be, is 
is that it's pretty much the essence of Hilchus Bishel in one night, laid out in an easy way to understand, we say with, with comics, I'm not sure what the comics will be, but I imagine related to the topic, and ask the umpt if you could sort of get your smicha on Hilchus Bishel, all done shivuot by night. I wouldn't call it smicha, but you can test yourself to see how much, uh, how much you know it. Uh, and, and by the way, the halachos are both Sardi and Ashkenazi. So we have Ashkenazi Psak, Sardi Psak, even a little bit of Chabad, Shokhanar Harav. Uh, so it's really, there's, there's something here for everyone. Chabal Yada, thank you very much. We'll put it up on our website. Sounds exciting. Thank you so much. Also, bye-bye. Before we go to our Tyra, let's go to, we have a number of, we got a number of emails, uh, voicemails this week that I thought were, some of them were interesting and worth responding to. Here's from a Rabbi Wild. He's a Makara of many people, and uh, he's, a, he's the head of, you know, the Kirov in Manhattan. I forgot the name of his organization, uh, Manhattan Jewish Experience, I think it is. And he, he, he was very alarmed. He said, you know, you said in last week's program that Avera Lagabi Zimun, you're not supposed to be much star after him. He said, but for me, it's very negay. I'm trying to be Makara. Listen to his Shiloh. David, um, so nice bumping to you on the street. Um, I just uh, I'm listening to your uh, podcast when you interviewed Reb Aaron uh, just about Michal Shabbos uh in terms of having him lead Zimun at the table because it's a very halacha question for me because most of my students are in that category. My question is: Is there any allowance for chinuch? Like I dafka ask some of them to lead the Zimun, because I use it as an opportunity, A, to make them feel good, and B, um, to mechanach them, to teach them actually how to, you know, lead benching. Um, so I'm just wondering if, in your mind, if there was any, if that changes the equation at all, if the reason you're asking them um, to lead the Zimun is not simply to give them kavod or to put them out there, but actually for chinuch purposes. Curious what your thoughts are. So here's what we wrote back to Rabbi Wild, and you could ask your own local Orthodox rabbi how you, how you want a fierzach, but this was our response to Rabbi Wild. Basically, that if you look in the uh, in the Paiskim, the reason why you're not supposed to be mezamin with an Amaretz is because Talmudic Hachamim, you know, shouldn't be hanging out with truck drivers. Shouldn't be eating their meals together with truck drivers. The Mishnah already says, and the Paiskim say, that even though Bizman Azeh, Taisvah says, and other Rishonim, were not Machmer and Amaretz, and we are Mitzaref to Zimun and Amaratzim all the time, but the, Mish- the Mishnah Bur brings that for somebody who's over Averis, Bifahesia, such a person you're not supposed to sit with, to be Mahal to Rabbi Nishalelam, Adarabah, you're supposed to be Misrachik Me'esh Azeh. Rishonim, people are over Averis, Bifahesia, you know, not an Amaretz, but somebody who's, uh, you know, an over Averis. Such a person. Question is now: You have a fry kid comes in, trying to be makar of him. Do you say he has a din of over averis befahesia, or do you say the din of over averis befahesia is why? Because he's an over averis. This kid here is a tinik shenishbi. Doesn't know from anything. And Adaraba, are you supposed to be misrachik meishaze, or Adaraba, you supposed to be makar of so therefore, based on the above, it makes sense that since it's niskabel by the Paiskim today that the Mechalei Shabbos Bizmarnenu all have a din of a Tenik Shanishba, looking at Mavakshi Taira, Rabbi Shleim Zalman and other places, besides the Binyan Si and the Chazinish, etc. So they don't have a din of Ivri Averis. And now the question is, okay, can Sadiqim Zanze Nisht? But Ivri Averis Zanze Oichet Nisht, right? So what do you do? Are you supposed to be Misrachik from this person? Or Adarab, are you supposed to be Miskarav to this person to bring him close? So if the whole purpose of this Suda is to bring him close. So Adaraba, the whole svara of why not to be much star of Tazimun, 
doesn't really uh, wouldn't wouldn't matter here. And I would just be moisive to this that everybody knows uh, the, uh, the Shulchan Aruch at the end of Shin Vav that says that uh, to be makar of somebody or, or to prevent somebody going off the derech has a din of pikuach nefesh. So certainly the fry in our generation who are disappearing and disappearing quickly and any time you makar of somebody has a din of hatzalas nefashis. So if you have a din that he doesn't have a din of an over aver of a machal shabbos and you try the reason the mitzvah the rabbi to sit with him and to be makar of him and it could even rise to the level of hatzalas nefashis. I would say certainly that you could be mitzar of them to zimun. You could honor them to do the zimun as well. That's what uh, that's what I, I told her by while. Here's an interesting call about somebody who, this very topic, he wanted to invite somebody he felt would have a bad effect possibly on the family. Hi, I would like to thank you again. I really, really enjoy your, your podcast. Um, I'm listening to it almost every week. It's really enjoyable. My question is like this. A very close family member um, went through a tragedy. Um, this family member is like chose a different derech, like, and I called him up and I and I called him up for Shabbos and I said, I know you will be a local in Brooklyn for Shabbos. What can I like like what can I offer you? Would like to help you? So he said, um, I'm go. I will eat by my father. I'm coming with my girlfriend and she's Jewish, but can't bring it to my father. So I for the cedar. So I would like you should invite here to the cedar. I said I have to think about it, and then I said no, and he was very upset. The reason why I said, like I was, like, I was starting two hours, like I was like, should I, should I not? I didn't have who to, who to ask, like should I do it, should I not? Like I'm a, I'm a young, uh, we are a young couple, like we have two, three little children, like all of them, like I live in a tiny apartment, it wasn't comfortable, wasn't comfortable to sit, like me, my wife, and some whatever Jewish, whatever girl around the table. So. I didn't have who to, uh, whom to ask. Should I? Should I not? Did I do the right thing? Did I did not? And I, when I called him up and I said, "Sorry, I'm not comfortable doing it. Like nothing. Uh, like no offense, but like, just I'm not comfortable doing it." Um, he was like very upset and very like felt like some kind of rejection. Then I tuned into your podcast. You're actually talking about the issue of rejection. So like I felt even like more bad. So I'm not sure like what is the right thing to do. Um, my Shabbos table technically is an open Shabbos table. Say I have all kinds of boys sitting around my Shabbos table. I can have Chal Shabbosim as well. Since my guy, like I made like a guideline that as long as you know it's uh, it's Bochurim, there's no no problem. But I start to think, who said that I'm right? Maybe I'm not right. Maybe I should invite everyone. I told this fellow that um, it's wonderful to do Kirov and it's wonderful to do mitzvahs in Maisim Toivim, but you can't do them on the cheshbin of somebody else. So if you want to be makar of somebody and you want to do it on the cheshbin of your children, that's not allowed, that's asa. And where do you see this halacha? Uh, in, 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 you see it in Cheshim Mishpat, let's say, in Tav Chavav. I think it's Tav Chavav, I don't have it in front of me. Where the Shulchan Aruch brings a sma. Uh, the, the sma brings that, uh, are you, if you want it, there's a din of like Samed al which by the way, being makar of somebody certainly would fall under this. But, can you? Do you have to chop off a, an aver? Would you have to put or put yourself seriously at risk to save somebody else? And the Yerushalmi says yes, and the Bavli and the uh, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins no. So you don't put yourself at risk to save somebody else. So here to put somebody your children at risk or somebody who did who who you don't have a who you have the right to put at risk, right? Because you want to do a mitzvah. The answer is absolutely unequivocally. If you think that it puts them at risk, you have no right to do it. Here's a caller who had um, two issues. First issue is he had an issue with Rabbi Sorcher. Uh, he, Rabbi Sorcher said uh, that uh, 
you can take a varim organs from a mace lachamisase without his haskama where it's pikuach nefesh. He said, Rabbi said, Rosh said, tongue in cheek, unless you're afraid you're going to lose his medical license. And this fellow had a problem with it. Yeah, on your recent show, uh, Rabbi, that one, well, you quoted Rabbi Sosher as saying that one would not be mechoyev to be uh, menavel the mace to save a life because he's going to lose his medical license. Is that uh, uh, correct halacha, that to save a life, one does not have to lose his medical license? Um, is there any difference between um, spending all his money or... Um, any other tircha or any other hardship that one is clear to do to save a life? Please explain the difference between that and losing the medical license. Thank you very much. This fellow is absolutely right. The halacha is, Ramon Arachayim and Hochas Lulav and Tafresh and Vav says that... Uh, that for a loisa say you have to give all your money. So you, right? So he's asking if you have to give all your money, why over here wouldn't you have to give up your your license? Now, by the way, where is this relevant besides an organ donor, an, a non-organ donor? Are you trying to take his organ shleibalacha? Tell you where it's much more common. Imagine you're a social worker. This is a, this is something that absolutely much more common than being in a hospital taking out somebody's avarim without their permission. But we have thousands of from social workers and psychologists, and somebody tells you in uh, doc in doctor patient um, privacy, and they say something that you would halachically have to give over. Somebody's cheating on somebody else, whatever the case may be. So halacha is: Would you have to violate? Your professional uh, um, obligations, in which case you could lose your license. Now, this is a really irrelevant case. And the answer is, and it's on you know, by, to my knowledge, all the Paiskim, is that Kivag in Yeradei and Semen Kuftan Zion and Hochaz Akum brings from the Chavis Yer, was before him, that this din, that for a loisa say, you have to give away all your money, it's Dafka a loisa say, that's Kum Vasei. Right, he says, you know, you, he said, go eat chaza, go be mechal Shabbos, etc. For that, you would have to give up all your money. But if it's b'sheva al tase, then it has a din of a uh, it has a din of a mitzvah sase. And there's some cipher of a kivei son-in-law in Arachayim and Tafresh and Vav uh, says a very he says it differently. He says it's not loy sase and ase. It's not the difference between by an essay you don't have to give up all your money and by a loisa you do. It's by a, a passive or a, or an active. If it's a kum vase, you would have to give up all your money. But if it's not a kumvase, it's sheval tase, then you don't. So based upon this psak, and it's also the Pischei Shuva brings many others who say the same halacha. Shlai McClugger says the same halacha, many others. So since this physician, or this, not this physician, this social worker was told something, so they would, there's a din of leisamed al damriyecha, but also leisamed al damriyecha, not to do it means just do nothing, it's sheval tase. So the answer is you're allowed to be over the, or you're not being over the sheval tase of, of leisamed al damriyecha, where it's where it's more than chaimish, and since losing your license would have a din of more than chaimish minachasav, you'd basically be out of business. Therefore, in such a case, you would not have to do it. So I sort of was when well, Rabbi Sosha said, if you listen carefully, you see we were miramas to this, but we didn't go through the whole thing. But now that somebody asked me, I think it's such an important thing, though, for many other areas of uh, of law where you could come into and halacha, where you could say, hey, this could be very damaging to me. So it's become vaseya shavaltasi is very relevant. Now here's the second part of this fellow's call, where he talks about how. The concept of um, you know uh, the, the 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 gaze whatever he says it's all shtusim 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 right well, listen to this the, the rest of the call on the recent the recent show uh, Rabbi Sorcher mentioned that uh, some people cannot keep this mitzvah I assume he meant the mitzvah quote unquote 
of the love of Mishkav Zohar, which is Chayvei uh, Skila. Is that the mitzvah he meant that some people can't keep? Well, why can't he keep this mitzvah? What does he mean he can't keep this mitzvah? Oh, because he because he, he convinced himself that he can't marry a, a proper wife that the Kaddish Baruch commands him to. That's why he can't keep this mitzvah, the mitzvah of the law of the Raisa, of Chayvei Skila, of Mishkav Zohar. He could keep the mitzvah, even after he convinced himself that he can't get married. You know how he keeps the mitzvah? Just doesn't marry a boy. That's how he keeps the mitzvah. What does it mean he can't keep the mitzvah? Is everyone else in the world married? Can't be not married? Can't? Can't be not married? He could be not married. He could go to a psychiatrist and work on his fantasies, on his shtusim, shtusim, shtusim. So I, growing up, certainly believed that this fellow said that it's, you know, it's all shtusim and etc. Dr. Moshe has a tshuva back in the 1960s where he wrote that the whole concept of Mishkev was only lahash, it was, you know, was um lahachis, etc. It was lahachis, etc. But that was when the medical community believed so too. And today they believe that it's, you know, it's genetic as well as it could be cultural things, right? Now let's be very clear. The Torah considers it a Yerig Val Yavar, and it's Asr with the Isr, the Chichicham or of Yerig Val Yavar. So there's absolutely no Shiloh that it's Asr. The question is, are these people real? Or at least some of them, right? Like Rabbi Swasha said, he believes many of it is just cultural. But are, you know, are, are some of it real, or is it all just Shtusim, like our caller said? So the, you know, the, this psychology today believes that no, it, there is such a genetic predisposition, and many people disagree. So I want to quote from you a Tikkune Zayar. It's in Tikkun Ayin, right? So we know that Chazal, a few thousand years ago, already understood this issue, and notwithstanding the fact that you'll, you'll hear the Zayar, it's still an Isidaraisa, an hour. What's the avoid of the person? There are people they have Yitzhahara to steal. There are people that are born with they have a proclivity, you know, to be a Shaykh Damim that says they should be a Shaykh. And there are people who have this proclivity and it's it's a real battle. But the call of Shtosim just it simplifies what's I think it's a very complex Indian. So if you I'll, I'll read it to Kune Zoyer and I'll 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 paraphrase it into English because you know the Aramaic is not easy. It says Kamusharbitin Vinitsaitsin is Drikumineal Bnainasha. It says that uh, there are many different types of nitzaitzim, sparks, and souls, sharbitan and neshamis, that come down to this world. He says, you have sometimes, you know, male and female neshamis, right? He says, sometimes they uh, they put a neshama of a female, they mix it together with a zachar. Right? He says, the neshamas are sent down, this is in Gilgulim, in ways that are like, they're sort of sprayed down in ways that are really hard for us to understand. Right? That's what the Zayar Kaddish says. But let me continue reading. He says, uh, He says, sometimes the neshama of a, a male ends up in a female, and the neshama of a female ends up in a male. Right? And it's a long Zaire, it's four pages of Zaire. We'll put it up on line. He says, but bottom line is, he says, uh, uh, when the uh, when the the neshama of the nekeva is is misgaberos al zachar, you see people. He said they they don't have a zakin or an akar. What happened? The neshama has gotten his galgal. Or he says of oivdoi kibeira. You have people who have taivas for the opposite gender. 
He says, why is it? And Toyeva, why is it? It says, but it's because of a spark of the other soul or the other soul ended up in the wrong body. So it's an astonishing Zayar and uh, there's, there's pages of it and it's, and it's obviously Kabbalistic and beyond our understanding. What's my takeaway from it? To say that it's just, you know, crazy people, they all don't understand. I don't think that that's how, what our attitude should be. Um, I think Rabbi Feldman wrote a letter where he speaks about how they could be great tzaddikim if they're shimer their taiva and they act within the halachic guidelines and with, you know, of, and the parasha of Kedoshim. And those who are a mezgaber truly are tzaddikim, right? And, 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 and what they're battling with is not a myth and it's not a shtus, but it's something that, according to the Zayra Kaddish, really goes back to the Shairish HaNeshama. Right, so again, clearly it's asalah halacha b'chol toikif, and with a din of yarek val yavar. But clearly, many of them are battling not ghosts, ghosts of their imagination, but real things. You know, real genetic issues, and that's that's my takeaway. Before we go to our guest, I would like to say a short zvartaira. When we say the hiratzen after the sfiras imer. I'll just say this, uh, you know, at a very simplistic level. You know, you say the ha'ayi shebahay. This is then you have yisoid chesed sheba yisoid guru sheba yisoid. Then we have malchus, right? Which we're finishing off yisoid now. What does it all mean? Like, what's what's on, on a simplistic level? What does it mean? So let me let me share with you. When we're talking about hide, which is beauty, we're not talking about somebody's beautiful. You know, he it's hide. I mean, I guess it could be. But we say, When you say, Hoid means majesty. It doesn't mean beauty. It means majesty, something majestic. These seven weeks, which were given to Klal Yisrael, all of Klal Yisrael, to work on their midas, on their character for Kabbalah Satira, means realization of seven different concepts. So the one we'll speak about tonight is Hoid. What does Hoid mean? Every person there's something majestic about. In the simplest way, every person, we've spoken about this before, is a one-time event. Now, the Gemara said this almost 2,000 years ago, Adam nivra yechidi, person could say bishvili nivra ilam. What did science find out thousands of years later? They found out the concept of a fingerprint. They found everybody has their own fingerprint. That's how they put people in jail. Then they found out DNA. There's no two people in the same world, all 8 billion people with the same DNA. I'll tell you something else. If you go to the airport today, um, you could sign up for that service at a global entry where it, it looks, it takes a picture of you and then you never need to, you just put your face there and it tells you. That means of all 8 billion people in the world, there's no two people that look alike. And that's really what the mission says. Kishem she'en partsufeim shavim. Kachin de'eseim shavim. The mission already said no two, no two people look alike. I'll tell you that um, uh, there's a company, banks are very worried about fraud on, you know, signing in from your iPhone. There's a company developed a swipe that many banks use. Do you know, no two people in the world of 8 billion people swipe their phone the same way? Astonishing. So they're able to identify the swipe. Is this real you calling in? So what is that? You are majestic. You are a one-time event. Nobody ever was like you before. Nobody will ever be like you again. So there's something majestic about the person. And with that, we understand the concept of, you know, we'll kill a thousand of you. You can't give out one because, you know, could you give out Prince Charles for a bunch of commoners? Each one of us. If I am majesty, if I am an infinite and never again, is one infinity, is many infinities greater than one infinity? And, you know, it's not just culture. There was an article in the, um, the Boston Globe about a fellow. They did a study, and it's found identical twins. That Identical means they were mamish, like it says by the Sarah Mishtaleach, Bekaima, Begaiva, Vechulu, Vechulu. Right, they were featured in an article in the Boston Globe, Two Lives, Two Paths. 
They did every. They looked identical. They were born and they lived in the same town. They went to the same schools. They sat in the same classroom. They were they were identical trouble. They were average students, a little troublemakers. The twins were separated at some point. One is became on to graduate, and he became a successful businessman. He runs a, a detective agency. The other one became homeless. There's everything with because there's, a, there's everybody is a yachid. The fact that you could say we went together, we looked together, but it doesn't matter. Everybody's a yachid. There's something really majestic about it. And the, the midas of Haid is each one is a different part of the majesty. We don't have all night, so we won't go through it maybe at another occasion. What comes after majesty comes your side. What does that mean? You know you're fantastic. You know you're something special. Well, shouldn't you be making plans to do something? You know, they say that there were two two camels were in the Bronx Zoo were talking to each other, a baby camel and its mother. And the baby camel said to the mother, she said, Ma, how come I have such long, beautiful eyelashes? You know, camels have these beautiful eyelashes without mascara, just long, beautiful. So the mother said to the little camel, to the baby, to keep the sand out of your eyes, b- b- blowing sandstorms out of your eyes. So the little baby thought, and he says, Mommy, why do we have these huge hooves oh, the, the uh, camel has a very very wide foot so the mother said to him so that we can step on sand dunes and not sink in they're almost like snowboards you know so the camel looked at the mother and thought and said mommy why do we have these humps on our back so the mother said looked at the little camel and said so that we can go 30 days without water so the little camel looks at the mother camel and she says so mommy said and what are we doing here in the Bronx zoo so what is, we're getting towards the end of the Holy Sphere assignment. It's these days of Mamish Kaidish Kadashim. We just did finished Hyde with, 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 uh, with Rajbi. Hyde, what does Hyde mean? Your majesty. The Avaid of Hyde is recognize how great you are. Every day we sit down and write how special and unique and one of a kind you are. And what comes after Hyde? If you're so beautiful, then stop making plans. Yesayid is Yasef HaTzadik. Yasef HaTzadik was the dreamer, right? What are you dreaming about? What do you want to be? What do you want this coming bear to be? What does you want your Kabbalah Satira to look like? What do you want your Geula, your newfound Geula from Mitzrayim to find out? You dropped all your own paras. You lost all your own Mitzrim, all the things on your back. Well, what are your plans? What are your dreams? Have you started dreaming yet? Now that you're majestic. And Malchus, what is Malchus? And now, what are we doing at the Bronx Zoo? So, all my listeners, let's leave the Bronx Zoo. Let's strap on these hooves and let's see what we can do, what we can take out of these holy days to make this new year. What is, the Gemara says that Shavuos is Tichla Shanavakil, I said, it's a new year starting Shavuos. What could we make our new year really like? Let's go to our riddles of the week. Here's the first riddle. Everybody knows in Chutzlaris you have a second day of Yom Tif because... Chutzlaris was far away. They didn't know if they were Ma'abra the Chaydish or they didn't. They didn't know which day Rish Chaydish was. So they, they had to make two days to make sure that in Chutzlaris they kept the correct day of Yom Tif. So here's the question. Every Yom Tif, most Yom Tifim anyway, it's when is, when is it Chal? In the middle of the month. It's the, 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 uh, the 15th day of the month. So it took more than 15 days for the Shluchim to arrive into certain parts of Chutzlaris. So they said you have to keep the 15th and the 16th as we were uncertain what day Rish Chaydish was. But Shavuos, when is it the 50th day? Everybody knows that after three weeks, the Shluchim already arrived. So they knew when Shavuos was in Chutzlaris. So why did they have to have a Sveik of an extra day in Chutzlaris for Shavuos? When on Shavuos, they knew exactly when the Yom Tif was. That's our first riddle of the week. 
What's that with second riddle? The Mogan Avram in Tav Tzadik Dallas famously says, B'Shem the Masas Binyamin, that in Leil Shavuos, you don't make early Kiddush, you have to wait all the way till Tzaytzik Echavim, because we want it to be Tzmimais Tiena, that the 49 days of Sphira should be, the 50 days of Sphira should be Tzmimais from beginning to end. And Taz, for that reason, says, Ma'achrin L'Spal Shabbos B'Knisas Shavuos, Right, Kadeshu, you may sphere as Tzmimis. And we make Kiddush late because of Tzmimis. And the Taz, for that reason, holds you daven late. It should be Tzmimis. But the Magan Avram says only Kiddush would you have to wait for later, but not for Tzvila. So the Chayra, it's a Pella and the Magan Avram. Once you say, night, Makadish Yisrael Vazmanim, you're ready, Makabal Kedusha Sayyim. So what does it matter that you have to make Kiddush late? No, no. If you davened early, you davened. If you daven Meir of early, you're ready Makabal Kedusha Sayyim. So it's now Shavuos, so you cut off the Tzmimis. So why is Kiddush the deciding factor? Lechayr, the Taz is right. It's Meir that should be the deciding factor. Those are our two riddles of the week. Wishing you all a good Shabbos and a good Yom If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33 Zero one one seven zero two five zero, and Eretz Yisrael, it's zero two three seven two zero three zero four. Let's go to our fabulous Shir. New York is Rabbi Tzvi Ortner. He's the Rav of Kahal Lina Satsedek, but more importantly for this interview, he's the head of Halacha and Technology Department of the OU. Welcome, Rabbi Tzvi. Shalom Aleichem, David. Always a pleasure. So, Tzvi, you're, you're familiar with the, what happened in Bnei Brak with the elevator. They built a tall building. A few Rabbanim said, the Shabbos elevator is good. They started selling units. They went running to other Rabbanim, Gershon Edelstein. He said, no, 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 the elevator is not kosher or you can't use the elevator, and it created a whole brouhaha. Walk us through elevator on Chavez. What did it start them lahate? What did it start them lasar? Okay, so um, the conversation about elevators on Chavez is divided, I would say, between two uh, parties, I would say, uh, in general, between the Rabonim and Israel and the United States. One part of the conversation is the alochic uh, issues involved in using the elevator. That itself originally was talking about the weight, the way how you affecting the usage of the elevator when you're walking in. There was conversation whether there's a difference going up or down. You can get into more details later. And then eventually, like like any other technology that being more advanced, uh, sensors, safety sensors, door sensors, lights, and all of that, getting into the conversation of using elevator and shop. But besides that. It, there was a different conversation at all um, for different uh, Rabbanim. A uh, different concern was about what's called Zilus of the Shabbat, which means given that all of those issues are being taken care of, there will still be a problem for many of the Rabbanim to only walk into an elevator and use an elevator on a Shabbos. It just doesn't look good. It's kind of over the hole. But this conversation was 
starting already in the very beginning, and that conversation will never change because as good and as perfect you'll work on a solution, that concern will always be uh, be an issue. Uh, a part of that concern is also um, being that technology is being changed all the time. So some of the abonnements are concerned, kind of exaggerated, saying, you know, Maybe we're going to work something good out now. Tomorrow we're going to have another elevator and another solution that we're not going to be happy with, and some people are going to mix into it. So in general, what I'm saying, there's one pure Allah conversation, like we have in any other appliances or any other technologies we're using at Shabbos. And the second conversation is more of a concerning the situation using an elevator. As far as the concept of Xera, I mean, that's a very problematic thing because, for example, we allow a blech on Shabbos and we don't say, well, you know, if you were the blech, the next thing is a warmer oven. If there's an warmer oven, what about a hot plate? I mean, halach is what halach is, but we, we stopped making Xeris around 1,700 years ago. You know, so that's, that's a problematic uh, 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 train of thought, no? I agree with you 100%. And I would say, if I, I can call it my career, I was always running away from this conversation because there's no way to define this conversation, there's no way to be marked this conversation. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, we have our tremendous details to the biggest abonnement point scheme, and if they who, so who are the ones who are the ones who said it's it's Xera who, who said that? So originally talking about uh, Terry of even more years ago, um, I think it was like between the abonnement of Yerushalayim and the abonnement of Nepal. So, uh-huh. Yashiv, and, you know, those I are mean, Rav Shleimazalman was Mater Elevators, right? right? I know that. So, those are was was more into, you know, finding the issues and try to get a solution, and they never talk about, you know, the solutions from up and all of that. Well, I think there's a difference between Zilusa the Shabbata and, and Gzeira. I think Zilusa the Shabbata is it's just even with the best Tashirim, even if there would never be a change of technology, it's just not Shabbistic to use an elevator, period. Uh, just like, you know, it's, it, it, you know, somebody could figure out a po- perfectly kosher way to take a train on Shabbos. It's, it, it's not Shabbistic or to take a car on Shabbos. That's, that's one concept. You know what I mean? You see that like with a bicycle. Right, it's just not Shabbosdick. To say that it's Xera today is good, but tomorrow won't be good. I think that's a stretch that you find is much harder to define than the concept of something that is elusive to Shabbat. I, I think there's a difference between the two. Correct, hundred percent. And let me just uh, lay into an interesting story. I remember I went with my father to Nevoha, which uh, was a two-hour floating out the soil. Actually, the offsite is coming up uh, next Sunday night. Uh, we went to Bimanachamovel Rav uh, Unga, one of the biggest of him at the time at Braybrak. And there was a, the conversation came about a, bi- um, a bicycle on shops. And I remember one of the uh, young lights over there just came up and says, it's, it says, it's Uvda the Hall. And I remember uh, Rav Unga reacting, and it was so nicely said, Vayaki ein ish, Vayatmenei Ubechol. Like, Very good, excellent. Uh, which is the truth, <laughs> right? Right. Right, on one hand, but again, on the other so, hand... So is Ravunga Mater a bicycle on Shabbos? I'm curious. Could be, of that conversation. I mean, I know, the Benish, I know the Benish Chai is Mater, I'm curious. I know Sardim use bicycles in certain communities, bicycles on Shabbos. There's a safer called Yank of the Edom of the Maram Shik that he writes there, again, a kind of a gzeo. You know, if it's going to be broken, um, you know, while using it, you'll have to fix it. There is no so much, you know, um, real logic basis to ask for a bicycle on Shabbos, but for some reason it became something that is also mainly, I would say, because of what you're saying, you know, it's kind of not Shabbosic. So this concept exists over there. I'm not going to be the one saying when yes and no. I just feel that if this is the conversation, some people maybe, maybe in America than in Israel will take it as 
you're basically saying it's mutter, so I'm never getting into this conversation. But apparently, uh, Manir Abonin, at the time of Ozna, was very strong about it in Bayrak, and he mamish after because of Zilus of the Shabbat. And for all the years, they didn't build in Bayrak any high-rise building because there was no way to go around this cycle um, um, from Ozna and having a Shabbat elevator. So what happened? What changed? So what changed is very interesting. Um, the way I'm understanding it, uh, you know, from seeing what's going on, is that they, there was a group of people working with some Rabbanim to somehow perfect the uh, logic issues. But I would say maybe they thought somehow they'll be able to fight the actual issue of the Elizabeth Shabbata, maybe because there wasn't a lot, is, you know, it's not around anymore, unfortunately. And they were about to come out, but then uh, I think the Rabbanim and Neymar act back very strong and came out uh, with both Kolkoyres uh, and both Sokim and Zilusa the Shabbat and one. And the other one was which of Shevach uh, Rosenblatt, which is, you know, the current chief rabbi of Neymar, came out with a combination of these two, meaning Zilusa the Shabbat on one end, and the other end also, okay, we came with a good solution now, we don't know what's going to be tomorrow. That was the language of his sack. Yeah, so, so are they, I mean, the building was built already, I understand, right? Right. So what are they going to do? So that's a, that's a big issue, and this issue is also actually relevant for us. There was such a scenario here on the on the border of Ballpark uh, just about a year or two ago. There was a big uh, development called the Pinnacle. It was built under the same assumption that it's going to be a Shabbos elevator there. And um, I was a little bit involved in the beginning, um, dealing with the logic issues here and there. I backed out once it became a, a big uh, uh, scandal around this issue because the Hamish Rabbonim, uh, especially Sardis Rabbonim, came out very strong against it. Um, and people have a serious issue. There's a lot of arguments, debates, politics, and things going on. It's, uh, I can't tell you there's a clear solution for it. It's a problem. So I remember discussing with Shlomo Zalman these issues, and his attitude was always, for a tzayruch of a chayla, you can be a it. Right? So for, for a zakin or a chayla, um, where there's some type of an overriding reason, in other words, halachically it's matter, there's a concept of the use of the Shabbat. Okay, when, when, there's, when there's an overriding need, right, uh, uh, we will allow it. But, I, but even, his, even though in his letter he didn't, wasn't, he, he didn't make this distinction, but that's how I always understood the halacha. So let me let me lay into it a little bit and, and clarify. Meaning, when you talk about a choyle or a zakan and a tsoyle, so we don't really need those solutions. In other words, there's two parts for it. For example, uh, in many places here in, in America, uh, including hospitals or any places, you have a Shabbos elevator. Most of those cases, the Shabbos elevator only means that it stops on every floor automatically. It doesn't mean that anything was done internally to try to solve any impact of the person walking in in terms of uh, either the weight or tensors or all other stuff. So in such cases, again, if somebody's in a hospital, somebody's a choyle, somebody's a zokin, somebody's in a need, and even choyle mishamshav in that, in this case, you know, there's definitely a terim. Um, to the best, uh, to the best of you can, you know, you walk together with a goy, a goy in front of you. Sometimes you can do things with a shinui. You know, you can throw a ball in front of your head from one of the rabbanim one time. You can throw a ball and have that, you know, attracting the sensors. And then you walk in. There's many, many terms and solutions. I don't think the the suggestions for choylim and scanning was including the solution that we that that is out there. Choylim azokim is a situation. You know, you do with electricity. It's no age, it's electricity, it's a Rabbonon, and there is a, always a walk around, whether with a shino or not, but it's a different scenario. Um, what we're referring is to 
of building in a solution, which means uh, specifically in Israel, whether it's going to be under the Mohan Technology, whether it's going to be other institutions that are working and doing it, it's going to be basically overriding the issues. So there is no halachic issues dealing and walking into this elevator. Still, the issue will be the Lusa de Shabbat. And again, I don't think that's going to be a problem for Choyle or Zokin. The problem is, is starting well, you know, especially in Yerushalayim and all the Hamish again, the um, neighborhoods, when you have a building, you know, over six, seven, eight floors, you can have a Shabbos elevator and everyone is going to use it. This is where the situation starts. Are we allowing it or not? So walk us through on what are the halachic shilas. We have Zilusa the Shabbat. Everybody could understand that. Gezeris, easy to understand. Walk us through quickly. Give us like the main halachic issues. So there's two, there's two main issues in uh, using an elevator on Shabbat. The very old-fashioned issue is the very simple uh, structure of an elevator. You have this box that you walk in and there's a weight. There's something that um, carries the weight on the other side and basically flowing up and down the elevator. So by you going into it, you're basically uh, causing more electricity to work harder. Now, that issue is more, I would or because the elevator works anyway. Most of the cases, there's a minimum of four to six people that the elevator is going to use the same power, and, and therefore, uh, that's that's not the main issue. Although, Yashi uh, or other Poskim did uh, consider the weight as an issue, the main difference is between going up and down. Uh, going down should be more of an issue, surprisingly, because this is holding back the, the weight on the other side more than uh, going up, which is just, you know, the weight is just... Um, going down. But the main issue, um, I shouldn't say recently, but later on, came up with all the sensors. There's so many sensors involved. When you walk through the door, there's a sensor that's holding the door open for you and making sure it's not closing down. Uh, there's lights. There's uh, some other weight sensors, level sensors, going to make sure that the, the elevator up exactly on the floor level. All of those sensors are directly impacted by you walking into the elevator. So um, again, there's not much work to do around the weight issue. But there's more work to be to be done around the sensors, which uh, most of the Shabbos that are written in Israel, they did work to somehow eliminate those sensors to work uh, over Shabbos. But this is basically the allochic issues involved, the pure allochic issues involved in using elevator besides the constant decision. Okay. So do you use an elevator in Shabbos, a Shabbos elevator that was done correctly? Um, so I never came across such a situation. I was uh, once in Israel. soil. I had an apartment in a building where everyone uses us. Um, all the machines around me uses us. I didn't feel comfortable personally just to do it. But uh, if there's a situation to be around a hospital or any other situations, and I'm going to make sure the elevator was done correctly and perfectly done, logically it's fine. Again, we're going to be, let's say, in a place, for example, in Bnebrak, where I know that a volume of this place came out with a psych not to do it. I will respect this, like, you know, in a way. Then if you were in a place where it was neutral and the elevator was done halakhically correctly, would you use it? If there will be a, if, if there will be a need for, I believe yes. But the, the, define, the the, define a need, what would a need be? So it's definitely not going to be, let's say, if I'm going to be in a third floor, the situation I had in Yerushalayim two years ago this summer, I'm not going to see a reason to use the elevator. I'm going to go up to falls. Nothing happened. But if it's going to be a situation, let's say I'll be there with, uh, you know, with my mother or, you know, kids and stuff like that, or, you know... Let's say, it would be, let's say it would be a 10th floor. I will try not to take a 10th floor. But I'm asking you a question. You, you have to go up to the 10th floor. Would you use it? I personally wouldn't feel comfortable using it. But I can tell you that if somebody else is going to ask me, if I'm going to say, you know, you can use it, it's healthy to walk up 10 floors. 
Okay. Again, now, let me ask you a question. Somebody's in a hotel. It's uh, on Shabbos, and it's not a Shabbos elevator. It's the door opens. There's somebody there he can jump on. Could he use it or not? Well, that, that question I'm getting very often, and I think I think the psak is for for just a, um, a healthy person. You should try to do either well, walking to the goy. I understand, but, but let's say the healthy person would take a Shabbos elevator. He's not worried about the loose of the Shabbat. But this is a not Shabbos elevator. He's in a hotel. He's on the 20th floor. He got stuck on the 20th floor. Shabbos, he could either go up or he go down. There's somebody going up or somebody going down. What would you tell this person? So the Lord will be like any other Isidra Rabbonon that fought so he can do with the Shinui. But, it, but is, there, no, is there an Isidra Rabbonon here? Electricity. The usage of electricity in Shabbos is at least an Isidra Rabbonon. I again, understand, but, the, but the, argument, the, the argument against that is, is that the elevator is going there regardless Right, whether whether you're on it or not. Oh, question: Before before uh, they had planes, right? People took boats. So you had Gedalim. They took boats from Europe to come to Eretz Yisrael or Rav Kook. I mean, all the Gareba, etc. They came by boat. The boat was on Shabbos. For sure, being on the boat caused the engine to work harder. Why weren't they concerned about the extra use of of steam engine or coal engine in the boat now that they were on it? So referring to the weight issue only. You are right, but being that all the other and why wouldn't that? Be, and why? Why, why am I right? Like, just tell me why am I right? Because the weight is kind of a chumor, meaning adding usage to electricity is is a chumor that mainly based on the understanding of chazanish to electricity, which is you know going and and other even, stuff. But even when they had when they came in, in, in before the war or after the war, they were it was these were steam engines. So even for steam engines, it didn't seem they were worried about the weight. Correct. But I agree with you that the okay. weight is a chumor. So, so many, what would you many be? Many can felt it's not an issue. So, what would you, what would you be concerned about? This guy's on the twentieth floor. He wants to. He's healthy. He wants to take the uh, the Shabbos elevator. What would be the issue about him? Because all the elevators today involve many other sensors besides just the weight. You walk into the door. You you're breaking an electric circuit, telling the door to stay on. Well, let's say you go through it together with somebody. So that's what I said. So the, the suggestion will be walking through with a guy. So you you t- you overriding the sensor issue. Now, is it no, true that is there really an electric eye in every elevator to see how many people it said who's coming in and on? No, so I'm not referring to to that. No, I'm referring for the sensor that's holding the door open. Well, it's true, but if you jump in when the door just opens and it's not staying open special for you, it shouldn't be a problem then, no? No, the way it works is there's always a, there's always a circuit. When you a minute nobody's there, it, it's gonna it's gonna close the circuit and going back. So you walking by, you're actually uh, breaking that circuit. It's gonna be every individual doing that, unless you're walking together with somebody. Yeah. This is the, this is for me the main issue. The 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 circuit. That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, as sophisticated is, there's some other you know level sensors and you know um, 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 weight sensors. Not not for the ups and downs, for just holding the elevator on the proper place based on the people that are coming in. Some other sensors, but the main sensor is basically the, the, the sensor that you walk into the elevator. Mm-hmm. Well, Rabbi Yortner, as always, it's a, it's an honor to have you on with us. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Take care. Bye bye. Joining us from Eretz Yisrael is Rabbi Stroll Krangel. He's one of the Rabbonim of the Tzomet Institute. The Tzomet Institute is the institute dedicated to technology in halacha. Welcome, Rabbi Yisrael. It's wonderful to be back on your podcast. I must tell you how many people in all different countries uh, said how much they enjoyed hearing me. You have a very large, on your previous one, you have a very large uh, uh, you know, amount of people listening So, <laughs> from all different countries. That's because of the quality of our guests. It has nothing to do with me. <laughs> 
Sir, be strong. I'm sure you, you you read in the papers, and you've, more than this, you've probably been involved. It was, what I understand, is a builder built a building in the B'nai Brak area, and he went up a number of stories, you know, more than one would comfortably walk, based upon getting a psaq from a few rabbanim that they could use a Shabbos elevator, which was subsequently attacked by, the, you know, other groups, and then they retracted. So can you tell us, just the story from somebody boots on the ground, what actually happened. Look, it is an interesting, it's a much larger picture for years, Uh, and B'nai Brak specifically, and I'm sure anyone, you know, you might not realize, but when you go to B'nai Brak, all the buildings are built to the fourth floor, because by law, if a building is only four floors, you don't have to have an elevator. So, Melachatchila, they limited the buildings to the fourth floor, so that you wouldn't need, and wouldn't get into the question at all. Um... But as you know, I mean, Baruch Hashem, this is an amazing thing. There's a housing crisis in Eretz Yisrael, and, and Yidin are coming, and, you know, and, and from Yidin, and they want buildings, and, and Baruch Hashem, you know, in the from community, having lots of children, there's a big uh, uh, housing crisis. And, you know, a lot of people are looking, and, and I'm not sure if you've noticed, stuff in Yerushalayim, it's, it's interesting, different places and different rabbinic um, leadership in Yerushalayim today, in a lot of very firm neighborhoods, they're building taller buildings, and they're putting in Shabbat elevators, and people are going with this. It's just in B'nai Brak, they kept with the policy of, of not doing that, and then there was a couple of rabbinim, and they tried to upgrade the issues, you know, which we'll talk about later, on a halachic side, you know, and they felt that that would be better. Um, but then there was a lot of, there was a backlash, and then they actually took it to two big rabbinim, Rav Edelstein um, and somebody else, uh, Rav Rosenblatt, I think it was, and they, they at the end of the day, said, no, you should leave it alone. Um, so, Rabbi Stroll, so you're saying in Yerushalayim, there are buildings that are being built with the Shalom and Salivate already now? Right, right, meaning for a couple of there's been a switch. Um, from what I understand, in America, it's it's less accepted, if I'm correct. I'll be honest with you. I was in China around six years ago. I went with my wife. I had something to do there. Right, And right. They, they put me on the 55th story wow. of, 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 a, of a building, in, of a hotel in, uh, it was in Shanghai. Wow. Yeah, and I, and I did not know these halachas very well. Right. You know, I know that was was complicated. There were right, right. And and I I I I walked up fifty five flights of stairs, <laughs> and I'm not in the best of conditions. Right. Um, right. Uh, and um, so for me, it's a fascinating. And and I did not go out for mincha, by the way. So I like right. I, okay. I did so you, I did I did basically my riv. I went down. I did I did I did two chillers. And mincha, I just right. said, I, I'm not right. doing this anymore. Right. But so right. tell me what. So 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 so, so they shot, so tell us the debate each side of it. Okay. Look, it is a long debate. I mean, I read somewhere in a book that the very first person to do a Shabbos elevator was actually Rabbi Jakovovitz. When he was a rabbi in Manhattan, you know, I think it was Fifth Avenue or one of those big shows, he did a stint there before he was chief rabbi of England. And he was the first one that came up with this idea. So we're going back decades ago. Um, but obviously, when Rabbi Rosen started Machon Somali in 1976, and, you know, they became very involved. And, and um, there's basically, you know, you've got to look at the picture from, from different angles. On the one level, and this kind of goes back to something we discussed in, in the previous uh, uh, podcast, um, 
Rabbi Zim was very careful, Rabbi Yisrael Zim, the founder of Mechon Summit, he was very careful to distinguish between what we spoke about last time a lot, situations of Pikuach Nefesh, be it the Israeli army and the, you know, the police force and the hospitals and security systems, you know, that's much of a Pikuach Nefesh, and that's a whole story in itself. The, 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 the other context which is interesting that Rabbi Zim dealt with was, was wheelchairs and, and uh, electric scooters, but when it came to the home context, what we call the home context, which basically we define as anyone who is healthy and safe, or a situation that's healthy and safe, which you've got to say today, Baruch Hashem, Bezrat Hashem. He was very, very careful, and he came to the conclusion that the only way you could use electricity on Shabbat in the home context, if it's what he defined in Hebrew as automatia gemura, complete automation. I'm not doing anything that's, that in any way is affecting. Now, obviously, he's building this from the, from the Sigyot and Shabbat Yudchet, that we pass in like Beit Hillel, you know, that you can, uh, we don't hold by Shvitat Kelim, that our, our Kelim is that our vessels can continue working for us. There are conditions in that Gemara, and that's part of the issue. Um, one of which is Afshimilta, and the Rashi on, on the Duff explains uh, why, why if something is Afshimilta, why if something is making a noise, can't I leave it working for me, even if I've said it before, Shabbos, and it's working on its own? And, and the Rashi explains, Ziluta de Shavta, and that's what this concept of, it's a zilzal, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a degrading to the Shabbat, even if I'm not doing anything. So, so even from the very source, uh, this idea of complete automation, you know, was very specific. It can only be once once 100% complete automation, you know, that's the whole Garfokotum in that sugya, yeah, that like, food, I can't put on a fire, because then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stoke the coals. So any way a human being is going to get involved is a problem. So so that was the, the you know, Shabbos timer is the classic example. I'm standing before Shabbos, I'm leaving it. Now, even then, Rav <laughs> Moshe Feinstein, you know, is famous, famous for the fact that he he... He didn't like the idea originally of Shabbos clocks, and then he said only for lights. He was, you know, in the English Mosheh, was very careful what you use it for. So from the beginning, automation was something that was a discussion what can be used. Today, I think it's very common to have your lights, even your aircon, you know, on, on a Shabbos clock. Um, so so that, that was one, that's one whole, that's the, the framework, let's say. Rebecca, let me just, just, we have a lot of people listening to me now. Yeah, what yeah. Kringle is saying is that we paskin, that you're not allowed to do any work on Shabbos. Right, right. But your your kalim are allowed to do. So, for example, your sprinkler system, if it's on on Shabbos and it's watering the grass, it, right. there's no iser because the, the split the sprinkler computer, whatever it's being, has no din of shvisa on Shabbos. Right, right. right? So right. you're not right. allowed to do malacha, but your kalim right. are allowed to do malacha. Let's say you have a water mill, you have right. a water mill that's running a mill, right? right? So that would be the kalim are running even though you're not. So the right. exception is, is if it makes noise. So with uh, Shabbat elevators. Um, um, there is a lot of things that will happen on a normal Shabbat mode. It's not, sorry, that would happen on an elevator. There'd be a problem with Shabbat. It's not just that you're ordering it to your floor and it's opening especially for you. There's the uh, senses, you know, that as you put your hand there, it's going to open. There's the whole weighing issue, and that's on a different, a few different levels. You know, an elevator weighs, first of all, to see how many people are on and, and therefore function accordingly, but also to make sure there's not too many people, and then it'll it'll actually have a, a close, you know, it'll close the whole system. So those, you know, obviously taking a very complex issue, those are really your your, your main issues. So really, the idea of a Shabbat elevator is to design a, an elevator that no human 
action will in any way affect the functioning of the elevator. And that's why, obviously, as everyone has seen, they open on every floor. Um, the um, buttons would not even work. I mean, that's the Garfukatum aspect of it. It's like totally on a Shabbat mode of a Shabbat elevator. Even if you did land up first thing, it wouldn't work. The, you know, no, the, Rabbi Krangel is saying is, how do we turn an elevator into a Shabbos clock? Right. Well, how right, do we exactly. turn an elevator into a sprinkler system where it just goes on its own, exactly. has nothing exactly. to do with you, there's nothing you can do really, you could stand on one of the sprinkler heads if you want, but you're not going to change any of the, any of the action. That was the challenge for Tzomet, turning right. an elevator into a Shabbos clock and a sprinkler system. Right. right, exactly, exactly. And it's the weighing issue was done differently. Um, it doesn't weigh. I don't know if you noticed. One, one of the things is that it actually functions on the whole. Once again, the different models, but on the whole, it functions as if it's full capacity, which is why they do take longer. It's not just that they're opening on every floor. Even if it's one person, it'll go as if it's full, and that's why it goes slower. <laughs> So it's, it's always functioning at, at maximum capacity. Now, obviously, also the the uh, sensors. So that's why Shabbos elevators. Now, this is where the difficulty comes in. It still has to be safe. You know, Shalom, because we're, we're turning it into a Shabbos elevator, we're making it not safe. It has to be safe, which is why they're open for longer. You hear this, you know, you'll always hear like some kind of a warning uh, uh, beep, and then and then it closes. Now, obviously, even if somebody actually gets stuck, they even override, and then there's like a, it's by pressure, will open up the the uh, the elevator. So, so th- those are the main issues. In other words, like you say, I, mean, I love the way you rephrase things, so it makes it clear. We, we're making it into like a, a Shabbos clock, 100% automated. One of the questions that came up initially was the issues of, of your weight is literally aiding specifically on the down. You know, there was a possibility that wanted to make a distinction between going up and going down because an elevator, when it's descending, your weight is literally aiding the elevator and, and helping it, if you understand what I'm saying. And that was really one of the questions that a lot of people also looked into. On the whole, at well, the time... Why, could it, why didn't you make it that regardless of if your weight is aiding, it still used the maximum amount of electricity? Right, right, right. So that's what I'm saying we do. In which we do cover all of that, but there was still a question is, just literally, is your, just by your weight, <laughs> is that helping, you know what I'm saying? Look, so, Robert, so one, well, just one question, just for tech, tech, uh, from a technology and engineering point of view. Yeah, yeah. If it's going up and it's using all the pressure as if there was 1,000 pounds or 2,000 pounds in the elevator, but really right. there's only 100 foot, 100 pound person in the elevator. Right. And so what happens to all that extra pressure? You would think the elevator should go flying out the ceiling, the roof. <laughs> that makes a good point. Um, look, once again, it, it is complex. It's complex engineering-wise. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, 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 it's funny we talk about this because, I'll be honest, before I started working for Mahon Summit like 10 years ago, I personally didn't use Shabbat elevators until I sat with engineers and I actually understood what they went into this, you know, and the fact that they could make it, once again, completely automated, like the Shabbat Slog, but at the same time, 100% safe, and, and, and still going to work. Um, it, it, it is. It is amazing. And by the way, one of the interesting things, and this is something I think is good for listeners to hear, one of the 
the thing is, elevators have to be checked every three years. There's somebody in Mechon Solmet, his name is Barak, and that's his job. He literally goes around, because 90% of the Shabbat elevators in Israel are, are, are the ones that we were the ones that dealt with it. I Many the companies make it according to our specifications, and then we uh, check it. But every three years, it's not just you know something we make and we check it once. Every three years, an elevator has to be checked that all the mechanisms are still working uh, according to our specifications. And sitting with the engineers, from what I understand, it, it's not a problem. It just means the, the elevator will take more energy than it needs to. In other words, it's like the other way around. The, the idea of an elevator using less energy when, let's say, it's only one person as opposed to ten is to save the energy. Right. That means you're not saving the energy. You know, it, it, it's, um, it still will function fine. It's just you won't be saving the energy the way you would during the weekday. Okay. So those who are opposed to it. Right. Okay, good. What are they, what are they opposed to? What? So, so, so once again, that, that fell into two groups. Um, there were those, and this is what's interesting, and I think this is part of the debate from what I understand and from what I've read. There are people who are going to say, even if it's 100% completely automated, it, it's still us because of the loot of the Shabbos. You know, they're building from the Sugiya there, that even if something's completely operated, if it's going to be in some kind of a way that zeals all to Shabbat, which, you know, apparently from the beginning, that was the case. Look, it is important to point out from the beginning, the, 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 the voices who were the, who, who gave the heter was first and foremost from Shomazam Lorbach. Um, once again, the guiding light of Machon Tzomit. He he gave, and there's a famous letter he wrote to actually to Rav Halperin. You know, there's another there's another institute in Bagdad, the Institute of, of Torah and Technology that was run by Rav Halperin. Rav Rosin started out with him, and then they they worked uh, parallel, um, and they also do it. And he sent a letter to it's a handwritten letter that's often printed in these. I've looked into this, and it's 100% allowed to be used, an elevator on Shabbat, both ascending and descending, if it's completely automated. Like, that, that, that was the wording of Rav Orbach. I'm sorry, Shlomo Zalman Ayabach wrote on these elevators that they're usable, right? There's a letter from Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Rav Shlomo Zalman Ayabach was perhaps the most one who, from the beginning, looked into it, you know, and he became with somebody who doubled a lot of electricity on Shabbat, and, and uh, he, he said it's 100, if it's 100% automated, it's 100% allowed in both directions, up and down. He said the whole issue of your weight is, is not a ma'ase. You can't count your weight doing something. It's not really you. It's gravity, as it were. Do you know what I'm saying? So he, he ruled out any opposition, and he said, if it's done now, obviously it has to be done in a way. You don't have married eye, right? That's why there's always a big sign, and it'll always be clear that this is a Shabbat elevator, and it's clear that it functions differently. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it, it has to be done in the right way. But if some of Orbach, and, this is, and then also Rav Neuvert and Shemirat Shabbat Kilchotab, uh, you know, they both gave the head there. On the, like I say, on the flip side, you, you had, a, 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 you know, Poskim saying they don't like the idea, primarily because not so much that it's not 100% automated. There were some people who said that, but really because of the Zilu to the Shabbos, and, and the first and foremost of that was Rav Vazna, um, you know, in, in, there was a whole thing also with Rav Yashiv at some point. Um, now, Rav Halperin, in, uh, you know, who had this other institute in Baitogan, he, he tried to find a middle road where he tried to really create a lot of even extra, extra, extra things to make sure that it definitely no way in any form, uh, you know, a human action could be doing anything, and then he gave the head to. I mean, uh, the, the, the one, you would think one of the problems is, is that when you get onto the elevator, so your weight is causing more electricity. Right, 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 right 100%. That's a problem, right? And, and, um, and so now it gets into grammar. It's true you're doing it, but it's just a grammar. But then right. the question is, is it a grammar? Because it's really a, a direct and immediate. Maybe that doesn't have a din of grammar. 
Right, right, right. right. So, so I, right. you know, there, there are a lot of halachic, you know, complications over here, you know? Right, right. Um, that's what I'm saying. Rav Shlomo Olbach really felt that, that in this situation, once again, and they looked at all the figures and discussed it, and, and Rav Rosen wrote it up, um, and, you know, it's, it's stuff people can find um, in our publications. But the the bottom line is Rav Orbach felt at the end of the day, in this kind of a situation, your weight cannot be defined as a maaser of anything. Um, and if you break it down, it's not really you. It's, it's, it's the force of gravity, basically. But, but from from what I understand in, in, in the present debate, like so the people that were looked who 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 were not here were saying, look, we we taking all the precautions to make sure that this is one hundred percent automated and, and, and the and the sack of the rebuttal was saying even if that's the case, you know, it's, it's it's still not something that we would do. And, and this, you know, that, that, that's really the question here. I even heard once in, in the name of the Lubavitcher who said the same thing. And he was an engineer. He fully understood that this could be done. Uh, but apparently, you know, and I heard this from, from, from uh, Rosh Kolal in, in the Chabad Yeshivas, he basically said, you know, if we're talking about a hospital or a, a nursing home even, and I think, I, I think that's a common place that people would then, you know, it's a totally different context, and then people would use it. But they felt in, in normal home context for normal uh, people, you shouldn't do it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Rabbi Stroll, thank you very much for your time. This is a pleasure. It's always wonderful. Joining us from New York is Rabbi Yosef Chaim Perlman. He's an Avrich Koyal in Yeshiva Tarvadas. He's also a Chavar Bezdin of Bezdin Beis Aaron. Welcome, Rabbi Yosef Chaim. Thank you for having me. So the story in B'nai Brak was a developer went ahead. He built a building. This isn't what I was told. I don't know if it's Lamaisa, but in Lamdish, this is the story. And a regular building in B'nai Brak is four stories high. He built one that was 10 or 15 stories high because he had a psaka from a number of Rabbanim that he could build Shabbos elevators, which he did. Subsequently, other Rabbanim in B'nai Brak protested, and the two Rabbanim who gave the Heksha pulled it, and now the guy is sold with five floors that he can't sell. So the question is, would would the Dayanim have to, you know, either Medin, either Aldina de Garmi or else Medina Shemaim, would they have any obligation to, you know, be mamale the chasarin of the developer that he lost all this money because of the, you know, I guess the fact that they withdrew their psak or the fact that their psak was in error in Bnei Brak. That's basically let's start with that, Shaila. It's a very complicated question, and definitely you'll be responsible to give it a definitive answer. And I'm sure you've done your homework because it's a, it's very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> the shach is as long as the golos, the mechaber and the shach, and it sort of depends on the qualification of the rabbonim, how qualified they were. In fact, there's a toysis, a fascinating toysis from Baba Kama, that's Kufa Medalis. The toysis says if someone gets a psak from a rov, that something's off there, it shouldn't be in a rush. Throw it out. You should ask a Shiloh from another of. And even though we know once you ask a Shiloh, you're not supposed to ask another Shiloh. That's only if you don't tell the second of that everybody asked a Shiloh. But the person is supposed to do is due diligence. And you don't just go to a of and ask a Shiloh and accept it. By the way, that's yeah. a very, it's a very important thing that you just said, and it's not commonly accepted. Because most people say, I have a rub, I don't ask any other rub. And, and, and Taisa says, no, you have to get another opinion. And there's a Balamur that's even stronger about that. But, but, uh, but that's a very, it's a very strong point. Yeah. And places ask, why is it different than a money changer? You go to a, an expert and you ask him if this money is counterfeit, it's legitimate, it's full value, and if the money changer was wrong, he's responsible for payment. 
because the din of the gami. Tosis doesn't really explain what the distinction is. I think that the the arachasholchanem is on that a rav who's accepted in his city has a din of a dying mumcha, and these two ravanim are certainly accepted in bnei brak. So would have a din of a dying mumcha. I understand. So the question is, could you explain to the Olam why? Why wouldn't there be a din of Dina de Garmi? I relied on you. I did it based solely on Yipsak. I posted a copy of Yipsak in all my, you know, offerings that I, when I sold the thing, and now you pulled out. So why wouldn't they be Chayavol's Dina de Garmi? Well, the Monch of the Gabim, then a person is considered, he did his due diligence, to have Paskin based on how he understood, and he's an Oynus. What should I do? I passed in the way I understood. Torah says, Go through a sugya and you give an answer, and you, I did what I could. A person is not a, a person is an oynus, he's potter. I would see, I would, I would understand that a person who's a mumchaver adam, he tried his hardest, he gave an honest to goodness psak, so he has a bit of an oynus. Why wouldn't we say? Why, why don't we say? Why wouldn't you say oynus uh, adam wood laylam? Oynus gomer is potter. You say it's a anyway, greatest. I mean, in Bnei Brak, they never accepted elevators. I mean, to say it's an oynus gomer is a little bit of a stretch, isn't it? To reach the level of Gami, it's a higher bar than a regular Mavic. Right. So okay, to we... clarify, Gami very possibly is only Chayv Mazer Abonon. A regular Mavic is Chayv Manatoja. So if a person is a Shogig, so the Chachamim weren't Chayv him. They didn't hold him to the same level of responsibility, but they would hold a regular Mavic. If a Torah would hold a regular Mavic. Now, here's the question. Could... Could it, if I was representing the the uh, the developer, I would say Bnei Brak was always particularly machmir on elevators, right? You know, Yerushalayim or Pshlem Zalman was matarit, and Bnei Brak, they, even though halachically it could be accepted the way these Rabbanim said, it's Xeris, it's it's because of Zilus um, of the Shabbos, etc. Um, I would take the position, you know, that's that's not a Oynes, it's not a Shay, you get to Tais, and it's a Tais that they should have been aware of. Let's assume you had to, you were defending the Rabbanim on this, what would you say? So, first of all, a Torah with our Mishnah is Potter also. Psaq is not even a Psaq. That's just as an aside. Well, I don't know if this would have, I don't know if Torah would, would rise to the level of the Mishnah. I mean, you can't say that it's a, you know, it's Halacha, the elevator probably is Kasha. Right, I mean, you certainly have who to stand on. So to say it's a it's a var mishnah is a little bit of a stretch, no? If it's a, such an obvious thing, then maybe it's uh, after the mar and all the abonim all the years after it, I would not think that Shikolada should have known better. Var mishnah and it's clear and apparent to everybody. Generally, you're right. Plus, the var mishnah, the Shikolada, at most two sheets, and most go romani. And he picks it up and he throws it in the garbage and he wishes the person well, etc. 
Right, so the rub throws it out. Now it's not Garmi anymore. So the guy goes home and he calls his friend. He, maybe he calls you. And you say, what? You know, the, 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 I think it's the Bala Itzer says you could rinse it three times with water and use it. And you call up the rub. You say, you remember that beautiful potty? He says, I'm sorry. It went out already. The garbage man yesterday took it up. They took it with the garbage. What be the halacha? Could you ask, can you be of the rub to pay in such a case? He threw it out, be a dime. It's ready, not Garmi. It's a mazik. And he, he missed the Bala Itzer that's brought in the Paiskin. How would you pass in that? He asked me very particular question, a very particular set of circumstances. I'm trying to find a case. I'm trying to figure out a case where it could be that somebody had in their life where they went to a Rav who actually threw something out, which is not, you know, not something so common. Because otherwise you always end up with Garmi, really, right? And that's why I picked this case. You want nothing else to be at, but the the general Allah is not like the Bala Itza. Unless we have very compelling solution, we we don't rely on the Bala Itza. If we have other reasons that uh, right. it was porcelain, and uh, really, you see, Emma, the Ivor says that porcelain is something which is not very light, uh, but we don't want to be so much on the back of them on its own. And he's in for 12 months, and he's throwing the Bala Itza, but the Bala Itza by itself <clears throat> is almost never used on its own on its own merits to cash a cave. I would think that they all actually did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, could, well, give me another example of Nasav and Nasav and Biyah that you think would be relevant. I just gave it to you. It was a porcelain pass. Okay. Big, uh, so in such a case, what would you say? Would the Rav a qualified Rav or not? As if, he's a quali- if, if he's a qualified Rav, just explain to Dailam. He's a qualified Rav, and even with Nasav and Nasav and Biyah. And why don't you say the other Mord Lailam? He's a qualified job. He did what he thought was right. He made other Mord Lailam. Okay. But, uh, Such a case, it would be problematic. I think the, I think the, I think in, in the, in, in, in a case like you're saying by a porcelain pot, I think there's a case who says that, that by, by, there would only be by Mazik and by Gzela, there would be no, uh, there, the, he argues on the Shach, like every other Mordlailam, I believe that's, uh, but, 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 uh, bottom line is it's very hard for a rough to be high, that's the bottom line, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very high bar. Very high bar. Well, so Chaim, thank you very much for your time. That's welcome. Keep up your good work. Thank you. Call to the Bye-bye.